Welcome to Living a Better Life podcast with your host, Madeline Golick. This is a weekly podcast exploring a variety of topics on how you can live a better life, not just physically, but in all aspects of what it means to be human living in a modern world. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and should not replace professional or medical advice. This podcast is sponsored by Ecophysiotherapy, where their mission is to educate, empower, and rehabilitate you back to health. Without further ado, please enjoy the show. Welcome to our wonderful listeners. So today on the episode, we're going to be talking about prevention and why pelvic health is so important. My guest today is Kate Roddy. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I start with this question with everybody, and I'm going to start it with you. Tell us a little bit about you before we like dive right in. All right. Um, I am a Toronto-based girl, um, and I am a primarily sports physiotherapist. That's how I started my career. And then I got into pelvic a little bit later after I had two children. So um, I practice out of Toronto, um, both in a sports and a pelvic practice, two separate um, and I have a product that I created in the past year and we launched, um, this basically at the beginning of the year. So, you know, way to launch a new company in a pandemic, but, uh, we're doing it. Well, you know, the, what's the saying, like, you know, planning for the right time never comes along, right? It's, it just happens. No, I figure if we make it out of this year starting a company, then like we've we've done it. We we can do anything. So, hundred percent, amazing. Okay, let's dive into pelvic health. I'm curious, how do you talk to um, people in your community about pelvic health? Like, what people are like, what's pelvic health? How do you explain it to people? So I think basically pelvic health, we look after so many body parts preventatively and it's become second nature, right? So we look after our teeth. We brush them every day. We go for our routine cleanings. We go to our dentist. We get things checked out. We, um, so that's our dental hygiene. Then we have even trained women to do our own self-breast exams, right? So that's preventative. And where we're really lacking is what we do below the belt. And unfortunately for females, that area um, has been stigmatized for a very long time. And we're making huge strides in both the education of that area, the prevention, and then even the rehabilitation. But basically pelvic health is anything to do with our musculoskeletal genitalia in terms of physio, right? You can see a urologist, a urogynecologist, a gynecologist, an obstetrist. I never get that word right. Obstetrician. Obstetrics. Yes. Um, You can see those for varying things, but when it comes to pelvic physiotherapy, we deal with the function of the muscles and the the bony pelvis, the skeleton, and how those two relate together and some nerves and connective tissue, et cetera. But we we really want to promote the health of that because it has great importance because of how many functions are actually being served in that area most women don't know about. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when I think back to, you know, health class in high school, you know, it was hee 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 hee. 
And then, you know, you're, you're busy uh, writing notes to your friends because back in the day, we wrote mm-hmm. notes to each other. Um, yeah, that's right. <laughs> there was no texting. Um, so, you know, it wasn't, you know, it just, there wasn't um, this open, you know, space discussion about, you know, pelvic health and, you know, anything sexual health related. And, you know, so many things, like you said, go on down there. And, right. um, you know, it's only in the last little bit that pelvic floor physiotherapy and pelvic health has, um, you know, gotten some, you know, public uh, acknowledgement. For sure. I mean, and even if we think about like the, our pelvis, it, we really have probably known it more in this sort of taboo, stigmatized sexual function, but it serves a lot of other functions for us in terms of our stability, the support of our um, pelvic organs, and of course, like controlling our, our pee and our fecal matter, our poop. And those are things that we rely so heavily on and we take for granted when we are young, like we take for granted everything about our bodies. Um, and you know, when things happen, all of a sudden we're like, it does what? How do I make that work again? And, and we need to look at it ahead. We need to look at our, our pelvic health preventatively because, I mean, it really starts earlier on and it would make it so much easier if you knew about it earlier than later. But we know that about so many things of the body. We just haven't applied it to our pelvic health yet, but we're going yeah. to. Oh, absolutely. hundred percent. I'm, I am very much an advocate for, you know, doing pelvic health, um, you know, doing a pelvic health assessment, certainly prior to giving birth, because, you know, giving birth is kind of for, for us ladies, um, really one of those big life changing moments where, you know, the bony structure, the nerves, the fascia, the muscles are really uh, put under a tremendous amount of like pressure and stress. Right. And we know that there are things that happen yet. Mm-hmm. When we think about applying pelvic health, we think about it after the fact, right? Totally. Nobody, totally. and then it's, it's kind of hard to then have that comparison. Well, what was it like before and does it feel the same now? And yeah. how do I connect to this tissue that I, you know, maybe right now isn't firing very well because it was overstretched and maybe it's like you're getting a flicker of the muscle, but you know, if mm-hmm. you don't have a context built, it, it just, it can make the process harder and a little bit longer because you have to spend so much more time gaining that body awareness Totally. It's similar to like exercise, right? People who, you know, are, uh, continue to exercise, they go in for a knee surgery, they know what to do, they know what their body's supposed to feel like. It's easy for them to kind of get connected to those muscles versus somebody who doesn't exercise. Then it's, you know, then there's a little yep. bit more work to be done. Yep. I mean, Having the sports background that I do, um, and I mean, orthopedic surgeries, that really was more sort of my niche. And honestly, I just don't see the difference between a knee replacement or an ACL reconstruction of the knee joint to giving birth. And I mean, our body is going to react very similarly to trauma, and both are considered trauma to our bodies, whether it's supposed to be this beautiful birth experience or this, you know, surgery that's supposed to heal a knee, our bodies still only register this as a traumatic event because someone is either coming out of you pretty aggressively or being cut into you, your body just goes, what is going on? 
right? And we still have to treat them. We seem to not apply the same logic, but it's there. It exists. And if we did, I think we'd have better expectations for our mothers um, giving birth for the first time who sort of don't know what they're going through. Yeah. And I'm, and you know, when you're experiencing these, you know, secondary cons, you know, so giving birth to me, just like an ACL reconstruction, first and foremost, are like events that you just don't go back. There's no going back to what was prior to, even after, you know, an ACL reconstruction, it's still not the same. It's not the original ACL. Um, So there, there are changes. And that means that it requires some um, adaptation. It requires maybe a little bit more strength than what was, you know, required before because now things yeah. are a little bit, you know, different. And, um, you know, of course we know in France, you know, everybody always references France, you know, all the women, uh, you know, that give birth, get, um, you know, 12 sessions of pelvic floor yeah. therapy. And, and it's amazing that the government is funding that and, and that, you know, they're, they're really thinking about us, but nobody's talking about beforehand. No, exactly. I wonder if maybe some of those visits would be less visits if there was some pre, you know, some pre-birth education. And then I also think about, you know, when you're experiencing, let's say incontinence or pelvic organ prolapse giving a post-birth and you don't know what's happening, how scary that must be too. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Absolutely. And I think that, I mean, from everything I have been reading and continually read about is that, you know, a grade one, uh, so pelvic organ prolapse is when organs sort of descend down um, because we don't have the same um, wall elasticity that held them in place. And so it's graded. And a grade one, I mean, women here, like they come to me and they're like, I have pelvic organ prolapse you know, and their eyes widen and they look distraught and they look like things are just gonna like kind of fall apart for them. Like this is a sentence. And I always parallel it back to an ankle sprain, right? Because what I tell them is when you sprain your ankle, like good, like it blows up and it's purple and yucky. There's a tendon in there that either good chance it tears right off Um, Or it stretches to all hell and it ain't coming back. And like, it's fine. You are going to exist on that ankle for the rest of your life, probably with no problems, if you do the muscular work to support your ankle. Well, that's the same thing with pelvic organ prolapse, especially with our our mild cases. Most women don't even notice. I I tend to, you know, unless they're complaining of symptoms, I don't know if I want to necessarily let them know. I mean, we don't MRI ankles to find out, did it actually tear? Did it actually stretch all the way out? We kind of go, okay, what are we going to do with it? What is the muscles going to do to support this area? Because we don't, we don't need that diagnostic tool to tell you whether or not you're going to function at a very high level. And nine times out of 10, you will. Of course. And I mean, you know, we expect there to be some degree of it, you know, after giving birth. But again, like you said, half the time. And even when I read the scientific literature, you know, uh, you know, different studies vary depending on how people think about the grading. And oftentimes in the studies, it's just the doctor saying, Hey, you have this. And the person 
has no idea that like, cause they're asymptomatic and there's so many yeah. things that you can do to keep it asymptomatic. Right. So it like right. does not have to impede your function at all. As long as like certain things are put into place as well as knowing what to look for. Right. right. What's considered not normal just cause, and, and this is the problem in pelvic health. It's like we've, we've, because things are so common we've like uh, we've created this image of common equals normal right yes right um so like peeing your pants very common but it's not normal and there's so many things that we can do um and we're just starting to like see that shift you know happening um toward like actually let's improve this function like this is something we can actually do something about. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, as I started going, uh, you know, into my pelvic health practice, the thing that struck me that got me really thinking about prevention is how many times I've had women come in for an assessment and say to me, why didn't anybody tell me sooner? You know, I could have been like working on this, you know, months ago, weeks ago. And, you know, the first couple of times it was like, well, you know, it, it was just kind of there. And then it just like kept happening. Like, why mm-hmm. didn't anybody tell me? Why didn't anybody tell? So then at that point I was like, okay, well, I'm going to create this like guide for women who are pregnant because I figured, well, yeah. how soon can I get women sort of thinking about their pelvic floor? And I was like, well, they're pregnant. They're probably thinking about the birth and like, what's going to happen. And I was like, yeah, that seems like a good time to start educating. But my question mm-hmm. to you is do you think education is enough? Is pelvic floor education enough? No. And the way I'll explain that is that if I just read a book about how to do a deadlift and I watch some videos about how to do a deadlift and I just assume that those two things are going to let me do a deadlift properly, I'm, you know I'm dead wrong, right? And as if, like, I've been a physio for 15 years, and I believe that I probably have the most knowledge in my brain to allow me to move biomechanically perfect. But if I don't practice that, if I don't know for sure. And that even comes, for, like, I need a personal trainer. I need someone to watch me deadlift. I need someone to help me know that my pelvic floor is actually engaging, that it's actually contracting the way we should, right? It's got to be a squeeze and a lift. And unless you go in there or have someone else and you feel that and you practice that, education is not enough. We, we can know about this, absolutely. And I think that that's our first step, right? It's a three-step process. We have to educate women that we exist and that there is a better normal, right? Sometimes we're not always going to achieve 100% normal after these life events, just like you said with a knee surgery, but we have to at least be going in the right direction to achieve 90, 95, right? Yeah. And so education is our first stage. We have to let women know we exist. And then the second stage is, is in that prevention. It's not getting women who've had birth. It's getting every woman through the door. I truly believe that if you're having, if you're sexually active and you are using 
your vagina for sex, you are giving your pelvic floor a workout. So you better know how to use it properly and you better know how to let it recover because pelvic floor is a, or sorry, sex for your pelvic floor is a pretty strenuous workout. And we know this, not to do the TMI, but like, ladies, when we've had back-to-back sex nights, back-to-back sex in the same day, that second time is like, ooh, a little bit stiff in there. Okay, give me a second, right? And we know that that's that pelvic floor actually responding to the workout from the first time. So we have to know about recovery. Um, and then our third thing is the rehabilitation. And that's really, we kind of skipped a step. We're doing education. We're doing rehabilitation. But there is this preventative model in the middle, and that's where women need to be coming in, right? Yeah. I've had six, five-year-olds who almost clamped my foot off or clamped my fingers off, and I've had 20-year-olds who've given me a flicker. Age is not the determining factor to whether or not you can control your pelvic floor. So. Yeah. And it's not only just about the squeezing, it's, it's about the relaxing, right? right? So it's about, flex, right. it's about the flexibility of your pelvic floor to move through its range of motion, because if mm-hmm. you're just strengthening from, you know, half the range, well, that may be enough for, you know, just day to day. But, you know, if you're getting on a trampoline, you know, that yeah. is probably not going to be enough, whether you've had children or not, right? Yep, totally. So, So I I definitely feel that there's, um, you know, an important aspect to getting feedback, right? Right. Um, You know, yeah, sure, you can read about Kegels. And certainly, you know, there's a place for, you know, trying things out and connecting on your own. And then when you get the opportunity, then having somebody say, you know, hey, have I been doing this correctly. Or you get people who say, right. well, I've been doing Kegels at home and it hasn't helped. It's a, it's yeah. a just, it's just an indicator that there's something um, not optimized. But if you have no prior kind of information, you don't have anything for comparison. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we know that pelvic floor exercises are going to help us just like we know our leg strength when we get older, right? When you lose the ability to sit to stand, that is a function of your thighs, your quadriceps, your glutes, kind of your whole lower body, there's a strength thing that's missing. And when we stop ambulating, when we stop walking, being able to get out of a chair, our comorbidities kind of increase, right? And we can say the same with pelvic floor. When we are missing strength at certain ages, we can absolutely predict that we will have comorbidities within our pelvic floor. And the first is usually incontinence, right? We we don't have control of our bladder, or maybe it's even we don't have control of passing wind or on the on the real flip side we don't have control of our bowels which that would to me worst case scenario right because then we have some real social isolation and issues for the person in a much bigger uh we'll, we'll use the word that's trending in our industry the biopsychosocial model right yeah so well i just think about the women who leak when they exercise so they don't exercise and we know that exercise has lots of health 
um, benefits. So, you know, we want to get people get, you know, being active, doing activities, running with their kids and not having to like constantly think about a toilet or think about pads, spending money on pads. Right. Imagine like the money that you could save on pads, you could put toward, you know, a a family vacation or something that you enjoy. Right. Um, but oftentimes a lot of these pelvic health issues are isolating also because we sort of, they're embarrassing to talk about. We don't want to talk about it with right. our family, family doctor. So then we don't get referrals. And even if we yeah. talk to our family doctor, we get, you know, maybe surgeries being offered and it's like, well, I don't know that I want to go that far first. Um, right. You know, so yeah, I mean, I think that pelvic floor physio has a really important role in sort of flattening the statistics, you know, flattening yes. the curve of incontinence, pelvic organ right. collapse, and pain with intercourse, right? Right. Yep. So in yeah, your mind, no. do you think this, you know, so do you think this, what are the steps you think that we, we need to be taking like to help kind of address some of these statistics? Um, so definitely it's sort of, again, that three prong, right? So we have to educate women and I do go back to it. The education has to promote action. And so sometimes what I'll say is, and I've got young kids and if my son in so kindergarten, senior kindergarten, grade one was peeing his pants at school. I would feel so motivated to to stop this, right? To get him help, to figure out because socially that is so embarrassing for for anyone at school, right? It happens, but as they get older, that you don't want that for your kid, right? So you think about yourself as a parent going, okay, how do we fix this? Even when your kid sort of pees the bed, there are we 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 really step in, right? How often do we step in for ourselves, right? Like, can I run on a treadmill full sprint and confidently tell you that I'm not going to leak after two kids? No, I cannot confidently tell you. I think I can, but even me, I have to get to the point where it is extremely important that I don't do that. So in our education, we have to spark action. And we need to do this in a number of ways. You sort of touched on one, which I think is interesting, and it's the cost, right? There's been a couple of people who've done the math on how long or how much it will cost if you have to use any sort of incontinence pad from, say, the age of 35 until end of life if you don't get help. It's in the range of like fifteen to eighteen thousand dollars, right? So I love asking the audience, "What would you do with eighteen thousand dollars?" It, I yeah. guarantee you're not thinking, "I'm buying pads." I am buying depends, right? So if we look at the cost of, you know, say even five pelvic floor physio consults, right? Like that initial and maybe some follow ups. And then maybe it's even one a year, maybe. I mean, we see the dentist that often. Why aren't we seeing our pelvic floor physios? The check-in. How is my pelvic floor doing? Do I have symptoms? What's your contraction like? 
it's still going to be an accountability method, right? And, and the cost of that is really not significant comparatively to the ongoing costs that we would associate with buying any sort of incontinence. You know, even some of these new underwear, I mean, they're great, but like those aren't going to last a lifetime still. So, um, and then after our prevention is we just have to rehabilitate, right? So if you do have these symptoms, we have to destigmatize that this is something wrong with you, right? It's a, no one associates a decreased range of motion in their shoulder as something wrong with them personally yeah. um, after a shoulder surgery, right? You just, you go, you see your physio, you do some care after, and then like you got full range and strength of your shoulder. We want full range and strength of our vaginas. That's all. 100%. So, yeah. 100%. Okay. So tell me now where, okay, so you launched this new company, you created a product, it's called the KR Curve. You know, Mm -hmm. I want to know, like, how did this come to be? And like, why do you feel the market needed this? Sure. So, so KR is Kegel Release. And we all know about our Kegels, right? Because they've been drilled into us since 1945 with Dr. Arnold Kegel. But you touched on it as well. Um, our, our pelvic floor muscles need to be able to relax. And dysfunction in this area can come with the inability or weakness to contract those muscles, but it can also come with overactivity or tension, right? Both sides of the coin are, is dysfunctional potentially. And what we're seeing more and more of is that women actually have overactivity in their pelvic floor musculature. And again, it makes sense. You give birth, that's traumatizing. And anything that's traumatizing, be it emotional, physical, we guard and protect our bodies, right? So of course that area after birth is guarding and protecting. And so we sort of need to sort of re- recoup that area we need to sort of give it a bit of a stretch give it a little bit of love and and release those muscles so that they can function optimally to contract on themselves so there's that aspect then there's also the aspect of preparation so your perineum is the area between your vaginal opening and your anal opening okay and that's the most common area that is torn or um, an episiotomy is sort of done just off to the side And so we recommend perineal massage. I would say there is still good evidence. Could there be better evidence that perineal massage helps with um, decreasing episiotomies and tears? Yes. The research is there, but it's interesting because some of it says that it was only done once a week. And so um, I think that if we look at that, if I asked you to do the splits, and you only did it once a week, uh, I don't know how like improved you would be after only five weeks. So lo and behold, we do believe in perineal massage, but it's difficult. And I think that's also a deterrent as to why women don't do it. And I'm like test case. I knew about perineal massage when I was pregnant. Um, I couldn't reach down there. Like it was difficult to work around the bump. And I was not in like that situation where it was like, hey, honey, come on over. I got some task for you to do. No. So I needed a tool. And so when I got into pelvic floor physio, I realized that 
we could create a tool that would just give women that extra reach. So um, I had one designed. Um, it's casted out of surgical grade stainless steel. Um, and the reason why we chose this, um, this material is that you can warm it up. And warming anything up for the body is a lot, it's soothing, right? So um, we even like, there's a reason why there's hot yoga. There's a reason why we put a warm pack on muscles just to calm and relax them a little bit preparatory before we, we stretch. And so that's why we chose that. But uh, with the same reason that it can heat, it can also cool. And so it can be after that six week visit to your birth provider, you can cool this off and you can insert and you have an internal cold pack, which um, no pelvic wand really does that on the market right now with the effectiveness that ours does. Um, and it's just, it's easier to get down there and be effective with it. And I think that anytime you have a device um, to use versus your own hand, it almost ritualizes the process, right? So I recommend that this get used in the shower or bathtub, and that's already a ritualized event for women every day, right? Getting in the shower um, is something that we try to at least do after birth. Um, but um, I think that if women are going to be diligent with the practice of it, it has to be a routine and habit. And so finding ways to make that um, a ritual and habit before we give birth is sort of the aim of why we have it as well. So you mentioned like after birth to, to use it and you've mentioned for helping pelvic floor relax. Um, and of course you can use it to do the perineal stretching and massage as well. So easily yeah. accessible to reach that area because that's a similar complaint uh, that I'll get mm -hmm. women. And, you know, like maybe in the early, like, um, you know, cause you could start around 34, 35 weeks. I mean, there's some stipulations and you should always talk to your healthcare provider on whether or not it's a right. for you. Totally. Um, you know, it might be a little bit easier to reach, but you know, like come 37, 38, 39, 40 weeks, it gets really challenging especially if you don't have like the flexibility to to reach there right so um, right so then you you kind of you know either have to get a partner or you know there's not what do you sort of use to get down there yeah no exactly and i mean that was truthfully like that was my full story is i was as big as a house i had an 11 and a half pound first child so should I have done perineal massage? Yes. Could I have? It was difficult. I couldn't have gotten the angles or even the leverage out of my hand. I mean, I mean, I've seen some videos online and it's, you know, like you use two fingers. Well, like try and get your own arm into that position to use the two fingers that everyone demos with. You, you really have to use your thumb. And then even then it's, it's a bit of a hard angle to get the pressure, right? Yeah. There's a 10 centimeter head that will exit out of this area, you know, and you're gonna build up to this pressure and sort of sustained holds and stretch. But these are, you know, towards those 40 weeks, you kind of wanna like, you know, give it the real dry run, so to speak. Um, and, and if you're not sort of putting that pressure, then, I can see where the studies have sort of lacked a little bit of support because the diligence and, and 
you know, practice with which women are, are doing this is seriously questionable. So. Yeah. Yeah. There definitely needs to be uh, some better designed studies centered around this. Um, you know, the, the way that I sort of think about perineal massage as well is, is, you know, building the confidence and, exposing the tissue to the sensation of stretch and pressure, learning how to breathe into these unpleasant sensations, learning to keep your pelvic floor relaxed into these unpleasant sensations, um, you know, in preparation for the unpleasant, um, for the unpleasant uh, sensations. So I want to talk about the KR curve as being an exploratory device. You know, how, how can it be that? And we have a child. Um, can you go downstairs? Because your iPad's downstairs. Okay, give me a second. I'm gonna pause for one moment, and uh, you know, this is this is the life of uh, pandemic um, times mm -hmm. when you're trying to do stuff. And uh, yeah, the no little one, life. little one squeezes by. Give me one second. Okay, we're back now, and uh, child is downstairs. Um, okay, so I was asking you about using the KR curve as an exploratory device. Right, so um, it is, because as I sort of said, I believe that women should probably be doing some sort of exploratory work as to how their pelvic floor operates if they're sexually active. Um, and so it's, it's sort of checking in with yourself because what we know about our pelvic floor is that it's innervated, meaning like the nerves that supply that area to function are part of our central nervous system. And our central nervous system controls our stress responses, which is our fight or flight. And so whether we like it or not, as stress fluctuates in our lives, so too does the overactivity of our pelvic floors. And so, I mean, I've had some women assessed where, you know, they were doing okay. And then a couple weeks later, they come back and they're actually worse. And I say, I'm like, what's going on? What's, what's happening this week in your life? Or, you know, and I remember one woman being like, I am so stressed. I almost canceled this appointment. I have this, 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 and this, and my work and meetings are going. And like, you could feel this woman's stress in her pelvic floor and she had been really diligent with her exercises and everything else and she was sort of upset that things were her symptoms had sort of worsened and when we paralleled it to the stress in her life she was like oh and so i think it's great to the kr curve is going to be great to use as again i keep mine in the shower right or it's in the drawer in the bathroom and there will be days where I can feel the stress and I use it to just check it. I give that area a bit of a stretch and I see what that feels like, right? Does it feel totally normal? Does it feel a little bit tender? Does it feel a little bit, um, sometimes even it's a bruisey feeling. It can feel almost um, uh, burny, right? Sometimes that's what a muscle can feel like when you go to stretch it. But I mean, it's no, it's no different than, you know, you go to your yoga class or you decide to foam roll something or you decide to do that stretch and you go, wow, I'm way tighter than I thought. I should probably do a little bit more of this. And that's the same, right? I think ultimately our, our vaginas have become, not become, they are, um, because of 
our parents, I think, a little bit. I mean, my mom taught me a little bit about the birds and the bees, and here's pad, and off you go. I have no idea how my vagina operated until I was probably like 34 years old. So I think that we can just get a little bit better with knowing our own bodies so they're not mystery boxes because they aren't. It's just some muscles. It's just an area of the body that unfortunately is inside versus outside. And I have a son. I have a daughter. I think we're pretty progressive parents. My son pulls on his penis in every which direction. He could probably skip with it. And we'd be like, that's great. When my daughter pulled her labias apart for the first time, my husband was like, oh, God, tell her to stop. What is she doing? And I thought, wow. Wow, like this is so ingrained in us that, you know, girls, and I, I do, like he comes from a pretty feminist family and his reaction was, oh God, she should stop doing that. But meanwhile, my son is just like waving this thing. So, I mean, that's, it's an interesting thing that we were, we grew up with and that stigma resides inside of us. And we do kind of got to pound it down because I want my daughter to know that that area is totally a-okay. It's totally safe. It is not a taboo area of her body. It's hers. It's, it's private, but she gets to sort of like see what it does. And yeah. Explore. She gets to know so, it. Yeah. Yeah. And respect absolutely. it. And then if she knows yeah. it and respects it, then she will make sure others respect it in the future. Bingo. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that's a, that's a really interesting um, thought about, you know, just even checking in with the pelvic floor. Cause you know, even for myself, like I have really, really great days. And then one day, like something's just off and I have like this leak that happens now knowing as a pelvic floor, like I, I, I go backwards and I, and I think to myself, okay, what were the things that led me up to this, right? Because it's not like mm-hmm. these things aren't going to sort of show up here and there. But the question then becomes, so the thought process is not that I've gone backwards. The thought process should be, what's kind of going on that may have led me to this situation so that I can address those factors and go back to not leaking, right? You know, maybe, maybe I'm a little more constipated, like, and then it's like, Oh, what have I been eating? Like, this isn't good. Yes. So I implement the change. And if my bowels are happy, I don't, I don't have issues with my bladder, you know, like, totally. Yeah. I think down, I think down there in our pelvic area, we think that because it's really disease ridden, right. And condition driven. So when we think about it in that sense, if we have symptoms, we must have a condition. We must have some disease process that's happening down there, which is very alarming. So as soon as we go to that thought process, automatically our central nervous system just upregulates to protect and guard, making a lot of symptoms worse. And like you've been in sports, I've been in sports. So again, I'm going to parallel it back. How many patients have we seen who talk about like knee pain and we're dealing with their knee pain and they come in on like the Monday, they're like, it's so much worse. And you kind of feel as the therapist that like, oh God, like what have they done? And I always then, okay, so what did you do this past weekend? Okay, well, I ran like 30 kilometers and then I did a 50K bike. And I'm like, do you think? 
<laughs> do you think that could have been associated with your increased knee pain due to maybe the muscular tension and recovery process that your body's going through from the crazy activities you just put it through? And they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about it that way. And so same with our pelvis, right? We do things. There are things that we do. Even women in the summer, they go for a bike ride. The first day it's nice. They sit on a bike seat for like over an hour. I mean, it's going to happen in the next month for sure. And then pelvic floor symptoms sort of like get a little bit worse because you sat on that area. It, of course, gets a little bit of pressure and then it tenses up. That tension creates some, like, it's a message. It's not a, proce- it's not a disease process. It's not a condition. It's just, it's a message saying, hey, you sat on us for an hour on a really tiny bike seat that really hurt us. So if you want to just take a couple of days so we can recover, that would be great. And right. That's it. Yeah. Yep. It, like it's 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 a warning message to just be like, hey, okay. I w- I would like to alert you to something going on down here. <laughs> the unfortunate part is it cannot say to you, by the way, you sat on a bike for an hour and that made me really uncomfortable. It'll just be like yeah. I'm uncomfortable, and so there's this like symptom there. Right. Um, that yeah, sometimes like you know, well, it's just people don't know to like look backwards and, and people don't know, um, you know, what could be contributing factors. And I think, you know, having a, you know, seeing a pelvic floor physio, having that relationship developed, you know, popping in yeah. for, uh, an evaluation when, you know, weird symptoms show up. Cause Hey, we'll assess it, take a look, see what's happening, get your history, give you some things yeah. to work on and boom, right. You can, you can start addressing the issue versus like, oh my God, what is this pain? And then, you know, you go to the doctor, they don't know, then they do these tests and they come back negative and yeah. then you do a specialist. And it's just really wrapped up in a round of like fear and unknown. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be speaking if you're having weird symptoms, like you, you probably should of have medical clearance, yeah. but in the meantime as well, you know, um, could be getting that evaluation from your physio as well to see like, could there be a musculoskeletal reason for this? Definitely. Yep, absolutely. Yep. I think it's just kind of changing the way people need to, changing, it's about educating, like you said, educating on right. what role we play um, when it comes to the function. Because physicals mm-hmm. are about, you know, we are about function. We're about getting mm-hmm. back to activity. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's just that, you know, we think physio knee, not physio, right. you know. Exactly, vagina. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> I wanted to talk, or I wanted to ask you about, is it tub talks? Yeah, so I started, um, so I know that a lot of people do the podcast. I went with the IG Live scenario. So um, I have on the Kegel Release Curve Instagram handle on on our IG Live, Instagram Live or TV, I guess. Um, I put up like under 10 minute segments. Um, There's about five of them right now. The idea is to have at least two to three a month. Um, And it's just touching on really quickly some aspect of pelvic health care, right? So 
the first one is really just, you know, the story, why we're doing this, all of that sort of good stuff. The second one is about pineal massage for pregnancy. And I do a demonstration with the KR Curve. Um, not on me, <laughs> on a dummy. Um, and then third one was stress and the pelvic floor. Fourth one was, oh, the concept of are we flapping in the wind after we give birth? Because I think a lot of women want to tighten their vaginas back up so that they can be potentially um, better serving of their spouse. And so we sort of demystify that. And then the fifth one I just posted this week was on vaginismus, which is a condition, um, uh, symptoms that women experience when their vagina kind of goes on lockdown, so to speak. So lockdown during a lockdown. Yep. Um, yeah, but they're just, uh, they're fun. They're out of my bathtub because like I said, I think the bathtub and the shower is sort of the most private time a woman gets in her daily life and I think that's the best time to check in with our pelvic floor because I mean it's the time that I get to close and lock the door right my, my bedroom doesn't have locks I can kind of set myself up in bed but I'm always thinking that a child or who knows who's lurking so I, I like doing these things sort of in the bathroom um, so I just do them in my tub fully clothed and it's a little bit fun so that's awesome uh, so if people are interested, uh, in finding, uh, in following you and also finding out more information about the KR curve, where can, where, where can, where can people find you and more info? Okay. Um, so you can find me on Instagram, uh, which is Kate Roddy, um, underscore six, the number I X physio. Um, it's a bit of a long one. Um, and then otherwise our other Instagram handle for the product is Kegel release curve, K E G E L release curve. And then that's the same as our website. Uh, the quicker way to get there is just krcurve.com. And, um, the other thing that we are offering on our website right now is 20 minute consults. So those are free with the purchase of the Kegel release curve. Um, otherwise it's a small, like I think $30 fee for 20 minutes. Um, the consults are with me for now, as we get a little bit bigger, they will be with other pelvic physios and it's not a physio session. It's a consult. So it's the ability to ask questions, um, about whether or not the KR curve would benefit you. So do some of your symptoms warrant, uh, its use. Um, and then just sometimes it's like that more personalized demo that women want that little bit of extra time because the instruction booklet or watching a video, you know, they want to ask questions. So, especially as it relates to them personally. So it's a nice little offering that people have really taken us up on. Uh, everyone who's bought one has signed up for one, which I think is great and um, has allowed them to ask their own personal questions. Amazing. And what I will say to our listeners in case you're driving, don't have a pen or paper or just like, we're like, what was that handle again? We will post <laughs> the links in the show notes to make it really easy for you to find and connect, connect, connect. Uh, with Kate. Yeah. So don't, don't stress. It'll all, it'll all be there in the show notes. Perfect. That's amazing. Um, Kate, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to um, share with you, uh, share with you, share with us your product and your knowledge and your sort of vision for uh, pelvic health as prevention. And uh, I'm just, I'm grateful. Thank you. 
Thank you so much. This has been great. I'm, uh, I'm loving these podcasts. So I was really happy when you reached out to uh, ask me on for it. Oh yeah. I was like, definitely need to have a discussion around this. Uh, of course, we want to um, thank our listeners for you know following the podcast. If you want to stay up to date with the latest and greatest uh, episodes, make sure to subscribe, uh, You know, leave us comments uh, on the podcast, and certainly please share uh, this podcast episode with your girlfriends um, because you know it's important. So share, share, share. And until then, we say goodbye until the next time we see you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening to Living a Better Life podcast. Make sure to subscribe to our show to stay up to date with our latest and greatest episodes. We would also love to hear your comments, suggestions, and reviews. Thanks again. Until the next episode. Bye for now.